0: What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. This week, I have Marco Nunez. He's out in Los Angeles. He used to work with the Lakers, now works with Strive and CPM. He's a consultant for both of those. He's going to be joining Eva Martinez, who is over at Stevenson College, but she also has experience in the high school setting, in the collegiate setting, in the uh, clinical setting, right? And she's currently working on her DAT at FIU with Dr. Jeff Conan, who's been on here multiple times. And then, of course, if it's got to do with leadership, John was, like, just willing to drive down to Houston to get out of the cold weather and come talk about leadership. Um, I'm just lying. But John Seco is, of course, joining us as we discuss leadership and athletic training. And so the point of the conversation today is diversity and inclusion. So Eva's working on her doctoral studies and with being a Hispanic female, or as she would say, a brown female, she often misses that. And so, uh, just earlier in the conversation with Sophia, Sophia was the first nine years of her life, she lived in Mexico, right? And then she came over here to Texas. So, you know, I asked her, is it, is it offensive if somebody says Mexican? She says, well, it depends, you know. And then we also asked the, had the conversation about what's it like for you seeing leadership? Well, the principal at our school is a Hispanic female she was also an immigrant from mexico and so she said you know she hasn't really experienced the the lack of um the diversity and leadership because but we're also here in texas which is just across the border from mexico so it would be interesting to hear this conversation especially with you being up in the northeast and going from there so uh, without much further ado this is your conversation eva why don't you get us started
1: yeah. So, I mean, I also grew up in Texas. And so in Texas, I did. It was North Texas, Northeast Texas. I did see a little bit of lack, but I didn't realize it until I um, moved up north to Michigan, where I then realized that there are other people besides just Mexican or brown people and white people. I didn't really see much diverse of um, African-Americans or black people in like growing up in schools or at, at teachers didn't see that. And then when I got into like to Michigan, I I did start to see that there was more um, diversity in that sense that there was black people, brown people, white people, Asians. Um, When I was in like fifth grade, I think I saw my first black person and it was a shocker because I grew up with nothing but white people and brown people. So um, the further that I got in my education, in my master, even at Michigan State where I did my undergrad, the diversity, it just wasn't there. It was just, it's a predominantly white institution. um, And so when you isolate that to athletic training, the diversity in itself has been decreased. There's not very many um, people of color. I was the only person of color that was um, in that program at Michigan State. And then further on, when I did my master's, there was only three people of color in my master's program. And then the difference here now in my DAT program is, I think has to do with the location, but it being down in Miami, there's a lot of brown people. There's a lot of people that look like me. There's people that speak Spanish in the program and like from different areas as like um, of brown, quote unquote, there's, um, you know, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Cubans. There's just a, a wide span of Latinos in in athletic training at in the DAT level. So it's, it's very um, diverse and different but i i did notice that lack of diversity or inclusion and now in leadership i also see it in in athletics overall but athletic training as well
0: it's crazy just to think that like honestly you were you said fifth grade before you ever saw a black person yeah yeah it's just so so weird and i'm sure Marco, being out in L.A., he said he, you know, he's raised out there in the San Diego, L.A. area, and I'm sure he had similar diversities, especially with you know, him being Hispanic, right? But, but it being L.A., um, Marco, tell us just a little bit about your experience growing up.
2: Uh, well, I grew up in L.A. I was born in San Diego, but my parents moved up to uh, the city of L.A. when I was maybe about two or three years old, so I don't recall much of, of the San Diego life. Uh, but the one unique thing about growing up in LA, I kind of grew up in the South Central area right by USC. We lived literally four or five blocks. I could, I could walk over to USC. Um, the one beauty about um, LA is that there, I guess I had the advantage of there was a there's a huge diversity in LA. It's very similar to New York. Um, you obviously have South Central where you have a lot of African Americans, and you have Latinos, um, and also you have predominantly white areas. But then if you, if you go throughout the whole entire city of LA, you have little pockets of different ethnicities, so to speak. You know, you have little Italy, you have Chinatown, you have little uh, Koreatown, um, you have a little Armenia and stuff like that. So I've had the opportunity and I guess that's one of the advantages that I guess I felt I was able to kind of learn and and be able to um, expose myself to a bunch of diversities. But having said that at the same time, uh, being Latino and being in the community uh, so speaking in that area, you kind of kind of almost kept yourself isolated to so to a certain extent. You only kind of went out of your neighborhood out of your area if you needed to, otherwise you kind of just stayed within within an area. you know uh, I mean there's some statistics out there that majority of people, especially uh, minorities um, or teenagers tend to not venture on more than maybe a mile or a couple of miles from where they grew up so kind of going growing up in, in you know evo growing up in, in texas and going all the way to, to michigan to michigan for to go for undergrad that's you know as far as like a latina or latino that's kind of unheard of because you stay within you always want to stay home you know within the near your parents you want to stay home um so majority of students tend to go to university that's very local that's nearby you can drive it's rare that you go from one climate to the other climate from one side of the country to the to the other side of the country that's like you don't you don't hear you don't you know i mean that's super uncommon right. but but at the same time i think it's great i think that's what individuals and when you're young you want to do that um you want to get exposed to uh, you know other ethnicities you want to expose yourself to other environments um that's how you learn that's how you grow that's how you adapt if you just stay isolated in one area and you just learn what you know i think you're you're hindering yourself you're isolating yourself and i think that's one of the worst things you want to do for yourself
1: yeah. and, um... John, have you noticed a lack of inclusion and diversity in liter- leadership in athletics or in athletic training ever, like either in your ed- undergrad education or your master's education or whatever the
3: case is? Yeah, it's it's very similar for myself. I I grew up or I am uh, a Latino as well. So growing up, I was very close to my family. So having that inclusion and 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 in Detroit, there's it's Southwest Detroit. Anybody that's from the area, um, they know that that's the large Hispanic area that's where we go for the good food right downtown and uh southwest but <laughs> growing up um i i tended to actually identify more with my white side so my father is polish he's european so i tended to identify more with that uh, outside of my family so i went away to a college to a school that was predominantly white so i went further away and i struggled so i think this is going to be a good question coming uh, probably a little bit later is is talking about identifying um our ethnicities in our profession and in leadership too, because I think that that creates a difficult portion too. Um, but when it comes to leadership and, and, um, ethnicity and, uh, our profession, I typically haven't had an issue with finding it. Um, I've found that there are more people of different color, different backgrounds, different race, um, that's, um, are from different backgrounds. Um, And that's been a really good thing for me because it's helped me identify with my heritage, with my ethnicity. Um, I work with Central Michigan University as a uh, internship coordinator uh, Dr. Shingles is one of the internship or she is the program director for central Michigan. Um, and she is a huge name when it comes to diversity, uh, within the athletic training. So to have her as a colleague has somebody I talk to on the frequent, um, that's helped me with my identity helped me, uh, with understanding diversion and include diversity, diversity and inclusion, um, within our profession. So, um, like I said, growing up, it's it was difficult because I was trying to find my identity within my ethnicity. Right. Um, it took me to get into the profession a couple years into the profession to really um, identify other people and to have people of other uh, backgrounds uh, come forward and identify themselves as leaders in the profession of athletic training.
1: Yeah. So like as you were saying, um, so you believe that like if you are of a different race or if you are in a more diverse um, environment, do you think that you have to have different skill sets um, to be able to tend to the environment that you're working with as a leader?
3: I don't believe so. I, I believe if you have certain skills and you know knowledge when it comes to leading others, leading your, your peers, um, being able to communicate is such a very important thing. Um, If you have an understanding of people's backgrounds and you're able to really communicate, make good relationships with people, um, I think that is a key in being able to be a leader within our profession. So um, I don't know if that's necessarily an ethical or ethnic background type of question. Um, I kind of look at it as a whole. And I do understand that people may not have those because of their backgrounds, or they may right. have difficulty because they've never, like you said, have never met somebody of another race. Right. And it. and so how do you communicate with an African American? How do you communicate with a Muslim? How do you communicate uh, with a white person yeah. um, from from Houston, Texas?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a big challenge. And I, I don't know, I kind of think that... If you are someone who is not as um, worldly or as diverse or can bring all of that to the table and you're working with people who are, then it makes it a little challenging for you to kind of express what you're trying to get across to them or you're going to have different leadership skills than someone who hasn't been exposed to all these different types of environments or different backgrounds. You're going to um, bring something else to the table because you have been exposed to that.
3: So what does diversity mean to you, Eva?
1: um it can it's a range of everything it's race ethnicity culture beliefs values morals like it's all in a combination of that and it kind of just makes up this character of who you are and so when all those like types of people get together and come like work together or in the same place together or have the same values or the same beliefs
2: and i think that's what makes up like the most diversity you know, it, it, it's weird because I, I guess the definition of diversity can vary, obviously, you know, when you think of diversity as being exposed or being sensitive or um, acknowledging di- people's uh, different backgrounds, different cultures, different rituals, uh, different mm-hmm. ideas, uh, ideology, opinions, and whatnot, right. uh, being open to it and being very respectful towards it. doesn't mean you have to agree with it, uh, but at least understanding where they're coming from. Um, and then, you know, as, as a leader, I think that's one of the questions that you asked Eva, uh, Eva right now, as far as the leadership, do um, you have to be aware and be sensitive? And is diversity a key issue when you are being a leader? I think by all means, um, because you're working with different individuals. Um, even, and here's the thing about it, even within, um, uh, if, if let's say you are working and a lot of your employees or whoever you're working are all of the same race, they tend to be a different uh, religious background. Um, different opinions. So e- even if it's all Caucasians, whether it's all Latinos, um, all Latinos come from different backgrounds, meaning there's the, the Mexican there's the South American Latinos the Central American Latinos. And that's the one thing like I realized when I was in college, my, one of my, 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 my group of friends, one of them was from Peru, the other one was from uh, Nicaragua. The other one she was she was Mexican. So even within those that that little group which you would think you know what they're all Latinos, there's not much diversity but I quickly realized, hey, you know, his tradition from Peru was slightly different than his tradition from Nicaragua. So you always have to be aware of that. So, you know, you would think you would see a community of all Caucasians or all Latinos, and you'd be like, ah, oh, there's not much diversity there, but there is, you know, you, Caucasians, you have the, the Western, um, you know, I guess Caucasian, then you have the Texas Caucasian, then you have the, the Northeast, um, even within that, that's, you know, they all have different uh, ideas, different backgrounds, different traditions, different everything um so even though you would see a group and say hey you know what they're not diverse they're still diverse right they're
1: still bringing different things to the table
2: because of their background and experiences that they've had
3: i, th- I think one of the things that when we start looking and then, at obviously
2: you, the one thing i guess a lot of people tend to neglect is it's also it's also like their socioeconomic background i think that's one of the biggest issues as far as what that, that you have to consider and you cannot neglect um and that is a major
3: key factor sorry go ahead john okay. <laughs> So one of the things that I've kind of learned over my time is obviously, like Marco had just said, with um, even at, even when you look at a certain race, there are differences within those races, right there. You know, like we like he said, there's there's differences between the Caucasians uh, from the west to the east, and, and there's differences um, even within the Mexican. And as I do um, more and more communication, relationship building with my students, uh, with with the people I work with. I found that it's very important to find the similarities between us. Once we link those similarities between us, the differences kind of go away. It helps you actually understand the differences more. You understand, like Marco had said, talk about the different cultures and understanding them. You may not agree with them. Um, it may not be something you've, you've been raised with, you've learned from, um, but if you are able to identify the similarities between each person that helps you become a better leader, build better relationships. Um, It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to to order them around or or know how to order them around or whatever. Um, We're looking at when a lot of times when we talk about the bridge between different cultures, different ethnicities, um, because of the similarities, it helps so much more.
1: Like how do you think you can still be a leader in a diverse environment when there's um, when you're not the one in charge or you're not the one who is like the head athletic? trainer or like, what does that look like for you?
3: Yeah, I think um, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but the idea of leading up and down the chain, um, and that's one of the things that I've taken from over the past couple of years of doing our leadership podcast is um, even though we're not typically at the top of the hierarchy, or if we're not quote unquote, the head athletic trainer or the leader, we still have influence on the people above and below us. Um, and that goes back to understanding similarities between us, how to communicate to different people. Um, if if somebody has a different background on how they've communicated, how do you communicate with that person? Um, what are the similarities, you know, between, you know, everybody? Um, and once you're able to bridge those things, you're able to communicate and actually lead up those chains of command or down the chains of command, depending on where you're at in the in the organization or in your department
2: it's interesting how uh, like like you mentioned as far as you, you kind of touched on a little bit about being the head trainer assistant trainer or different levels even a grad assistant and kind of like the diversity in the in the leadership skills that are involved um and, and, and it's weird because everybody tends to play a role uh, at the end of the day whether you're the assistant trainer whether you're a grad assistant or even your head athletic trainer whether you're the director of sports medicine whatever role it is you know, when I was with the Lakers, I had the opportunity of being both the uh, an outsider when I was with the Sparks and kind of just kind of entering helping with them. Then I became an assistant trainer, which in my role kind of changed as far as, as far, you know. Yes, I wasn't the, the you know when you think of the leadership or the leader, you think of the head athletic trainer, you think of the director, the GM. But but to some extent, um, my interaction with the athletes were was connected toward to the head athletic trainer. So my job was to work with the athletes, understand the diversity, understand anything of the sort, but also communicate both, like you mentioned, up and below, to, up to the head of the trainer, um, so he can understand better and, and kind of and keep that line of communication. So the overall leadership or the overall diversity is being kind of involved um, within the athletic training, so to speak. So it's not just the head athletic trainer has to be aware of the diversity and, and he or she is kind of so-called so a leader and knows everything, but he or she, and, you know, now that now that I became, when I became the head athletic trainer, I felt I was more dependent on and, and, and felt I had to rely more on the assistant athletic trainers along, and, the, and the interests that we had in there. Because as a head athletic trainer, I kept, you know, being pulled into more into meetings. Um, that sometimes I wasn't involved too much in, in the athletic training room or the athletic, athletic training setting that I felt like, hey, you know what? I'm more dependent on the assistant athletic trainers um, to help me become a leader and be a leader. Then I thought, you know, when I became the position, I'm like, okay, this means that I'm a great leader. No, it's like it just means that you are at the top, um, and you have to be able to um, allow other people to help you, and be open for that help. Because I think if you close yourself for that, that is when you lose kind of the leadership, or you or you don't become a leader. So speak.
1: yeah, it makes it a little challenging to be like know when to delegate and know when to um, accept that help and be open towards towards that. Okay.
3: Yeah, you also have to make very, very clear lines when it comes to the people that you delegate to and the people you report to as well. Um, and and we've we've talked about relationship building. We've talked about communication. Finding similarities. Sometimes those similarities really fuzz the line when it comes to um, communication between people. So if you're one of you know four or five athletic trainers or assistant athletic trainers um, and you may have a cultural similarity with your head athletic trainer or somebody you report to, um, those can be viewed a little bit different, but if you're able to communicate those clear lines with those people become a little bit more professional and really, you know, not toe the line, but, or, or fuzz the line yourself. Um, I think that helps when it comes to the hierarchy of when it comes to delegating powers, delegating issues, delegating, um, you know, Anything that needs to be done as a leader, um, it's really it's understanding those similarities, but it's also setting those aside when things need to be done.
1: I know I've asked Marco this question about um, how he felt um, like growing in his career as a as a Latino and how did he get there and like what were some steps that he took to like build his success and not have that imposter syndrome of not belonging Mm -hmm. or or not fitting in because he was the only Brown person or, um, just the minority in, in the education and the profession itself, you know, that there's not much diversity in the profession, that majority of the members of NATA are of white or Caucasian, um, descent. So like, what did, what are some things that, you know, everyone wants to have someone similar to them in a workplace, someone that they can relate to their upbringing and can share like cultural norms. So as like a new athletic trainer of color coming into the profession, when, when people don't really look like me, like, what is your thoughts or opinion on like how to find success or like professional growth in that area?
3: It's reaching out to other athletic trainers. Um, it's, it's networking, it's meeting other people. Um, you know, you may not meet somebody that has, uh, a lot of similarities to yourself. Um, but maybe through one person you can find another person. Uh, and that's just kind of creating that network branch of people. So it is like when you're able to, or you have a question, you, you reach out to one person and says, Hey, I, I don't, I don't have the answer for you, but I know somebody else who may, and then it's kind of reaching out to that person. Um, just because that person has a similarity to you or does that you want to hear, or they may not, um, be the type of person you want to listen to. Um, but it's continuously expanding your network of people. Um, and then just kind of remembering, you know, why is that person important in your network? Uh, are they going to help you with, um, you know, are they going to help you with a certain, uh, issue, a cultural issue, are they going to help you with, um, you know, identification or something like that? Um, it's just continuously growing that network. Um, so you have more people to bounce questions off of and, uh, and, and and the more questions you ask, the more questions you're going to be able to ask in the future and the more questions you're going to actually populate in the future too. So you may just have one question about being uh, a, a Latina and in the college setting. But if you ask the right person, it can it can breed more questions um, going forward. And the more questions you have, the more informed you're going to be um, as that person that you want to be.
1: Yeah, that's true. Do you feel, because you identified, I don't know how long you identified more with your white side than mm-hmm. your Latino side, um, but do you feel that that is a reason why you didn't notice a lack of inclusion? Like for me, I know that I'm hypersensitive in the mm-hmm. sense of, the lack of diversity or like just um, like racial comments or stereotypes that would be said or, or in that situation, in situations, um, mostly I would notice them because I'm, I'm sensitive to the situations, you know, like I've, I've experienced that kind of stuff. And so like now I'm more aware. So do you feel like because you didn't relate that that's reason as to why you weren't so sensitive
3: to it yeah I, it, it it's exactly why i'm uh not so sensitive to it i am like a teeter-totter when it comes to my ethnicity um there's days where i'm 100 percent a mexican and there's days where i'm 100 percent a, a white european male um and it's but it, hearing something definitely tips the scale back so jeremy asking the question before we started recording how you know when he when he said the word brown i wasn't really paying attention and then when he said it it like clicked it over and i was like, whoa. I was like, Oh, he's just asking a question. And you know, like, I love that. I love that. He's asking a question, but if I were in the athletic training room and somebody said um, they said a racial slur about Mexican," like I'd be very quick to shut that down. I'd also be very, very quick to shut down, um, you know, somebody. So my, my, my father's uh, Polish, he was born in a concentration camp. So if somebody were to say something about a, a Nazi, it's, it's going to tip the scale back for me and I'm going to, I'm going to quick to shut it down too. Um, but it, I've learned that just shutting a a conversation down or shutting a slur down doesn't really do anything. It's about educating the people who are saying those things. So especially in the high school setting, because kids are so apt to say things that they really don't understand as a joke or, um, you know, as a high school student, whatever. Um, I have to be the adult and educate that person. And you have to do it too in the college setting. You probably have to do it in the professional world too, um, because those people have gone that long saying those certain things and not understanding why they're saying those things. So
1: it. yes. So I have
3: to be more, uh, more apt to educate why it's offensive to myself and why it could be offensive to other people. So that's, that's where I think growing up and having this ambiguous idea of who I am, has helped me. It's kind of hindered me, but it's also helped me understand it a little bit more too. Um, and also being in Detroit, the largest Muslim population, um, people actually look at me and they think I'm Arabic or they think I'm a uh, I'm Muslim. So it's like they don't, they, a lot of times people are like, are you, a, are you Italian? Are you an Arab? And I'm like, no, I'm actually Mexican and Polish. So it's like throw things up in the air and say okay well um, i'm able to actually disarm people because of those things um, which has been very very beneficial for me because sometimes when you see somebody you you can identify them as their cultural background you automatically put them in that box and that's a terrible thing that we all do every single one of us do and when we it happens to us we hate it so we have to be constantly in the mindset of not placing people in those boxes because they can be one offensive. And two, you could be very wrong about the box you've put that person into.
1: Those type of situations, especially in the athletic training room, or even as far as um, within the profession, like at big conferences, like NATA or um, scenarios like that, you just see people that look like you and you kind of expect that they're going to Kind of have some Mm -hmm. of those cultural norms, and and most of it has to come with like I'm seeking this, you know, like I'm this is something that I really want and desire to have other people that look like me that have similar cultural norms as I do to to want to be a part of the profession and want to um, like see it from the eyes that I see it from and not necessarily um, the backgrounds that they kind of have seen it through. I just. Uh The question or the, the comment and the thoughts come from um, the, the profession moving to the the master's level. And I just have so much to say in the sense that, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I know that there are a lot of Latinos that won't or a lot of brown people like black people that won't pursue a master's because of the amount it cost or mm-hmm. won't it because of the time it takes. And so that to me in my head, I just feel like you're already decreasing the pool of people of color that want to have to try to join this organization or be a part of an you know, of NATA or be an athletic trainer and get, get through the education so that they can become an right.
2: athletic trainer. Yeah, and, and, and I think that kind of stems a little bit if you look at the background, um, as far as if you look at the, the students' parents, um, majority of them don't have much of an education, let alone an undergrad, forget a master's and yeah. don't even think about a PhD program. Um, you know, as far as my parents, my, most of my parents were immigrants, you know, they came from, from Mexico down to the United States. Uh, my dad uh, has a sixth grade education. He dropped out after sixth grade and my mom dropped out after fourth grade. Um, but the one advantage I think that I had is that my dad, actually both my parents, understood the importance of education and they kind of pushed us and pushed us and pushed us. Um, so that's why I went ahead and, and was able to pursue a master's in and eventually I also wanted to pursue a, a PhD. Um, but kind of going p- back to your point, uh, John, as far as the kind of the leadership and then like when you hear like racial slurs or racial comments, it's kind of interesting because it, it's kind of something popped in my head. Like you mentioned, either one or two things you see, I, I've noticed in the training room or any environment, mm-hmm. when someone makes a, a racial comment, either one or two things, so one, they're really ignorant um, and they don't understand. Um, and I think that's when you take an opportunity where you stop and you educate them mm-hmm. or two, Do you understand they're not ignorant and they're really making a racial remark? And then, of course, that's like you mentioned, you that's where you stop it, nip it in the bud, and say, Hey, you know what, this is not good to do. The other uh, concept, also kind of like what Eva was referring to, and I think I referred to earlier, as far as diversity and kind of getting out of your comfort zone, and meaning by comfort zone is that you grew up in a certain environment, certain about friends, and you guys all joke around, you make the same racial jokes and stuff like that, but you just see it as jokes, and unless once you go out of that environment, that's when you kind of realize that okay wait a minute this, this is not a joke anymore and it's kind of funny because the other day I was walking down the street uh, at a crosswalk and and, and the gentleman that, that was at the crosswalk was Latino he was Mexican and he made like a, a Chinese um, racial remark where you know 50, 20 years ago when I was a little kid within my within my friends which were all Latinos I would have been like ah ha, ha that's funny but when he made this comment I was like oh, wait a minute that's not funny um, but you know, like I said, when I was a young and you know, Eva, no, exactly. <laughs> I just, I just um, as a young kid, if it was a, uh, they would have made that the remark, we would, I would have laughed, we would all laugh, haha, you know, that's just, we're, we're used to it. But I think that's kind of the same thing. But I'm assuming, and, and uh, probably is that it happens the same in every community, in every racial community. It's just, it's, as long as you stay within that community, you, that's where you learn. Those are the habits, um, those are the jokes, and, and everybody laughs, and you just kind of move on. But when you get out of that comfort zone out of that environment to different like like you mentioned uh eva you're up in michigan state um then you start seeing different things different perspectives, different ideas different environments um which is i think it's a great opportunity i think everybody should be able to get out of that that comfort zone i know a lot of people can because of the socioeconomic background or they like like eva mentioned is that it's not ingraining you to go to undergrad it's not ingraining you to go to, to a master's program or phd you know um so it's kind of different
3: so, Ava, I want to go back to your your work within the DAT program at FIU. What are you finding within your research when it comes to diversity and leadership?
1: Um, that there's not much, that it's very limited. And in order for it to grow, there needs to be more of it to can, so other people can learn how to be um, how to teach people, like a diverse uh, population, how to teach them how to be leaders, as well as how to um, teach leaders qualities and characters that still align with their own beliefs and values and cultural norms, as well as like a part of the business's mission, vision, credos, and so that they can align together.
3: What do you think hinders that?
1: The fact that they can't find that similarity that you were talking about, like they can't, they they can't begin to see eye to eye because their experiences have not allowed them to um, grow together, and because the difference, they're just letting that difference grow and grow and become a wall instead of allowing the similarities to to become the 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 normal the the level, you know.
3: So Marco, you talked about twenty years ago. We may have made a joke, or somebody may have made a joke. But you've learned over time that certain things are inappropriate to say, they're, they're wrong to say, those jokes just aren't correct anymore. How do you feel or what do you think is the best way for somebody to go about understanding that what they're saying on an individual basis, how do, they, how do people go about understanding that those things could be wrong and can help kind of break down the walls that Eva was talking about that hinder more inclusion more diversity within leadership or within the, the professional athletic training
2: as far as like the, the you uh, as far as like the walls that are hindering mm-hmm. as far as the uh, investment in like in athletic training is that correct yes um first started as as a, a student um there's a dr gray out in riverside that kind of made a comment to me i think i might have told eva this that's uh, sports science or, or medicine in general any, any type of medicine there's there's two aspects to medicine there's the science behind it which is kind of easy to learn you go to school you you know you you get get uh a's and you graduate, blah blah and you get to use and kind of you kind of learn the science and then there's the art behind it the diversity education part is a big part of the, the art portion of it and i think a lot of the programs especially in athletic training um because you interact with a lot of people to neglect that aspect as far as some of the courses you take the human physiology you take the human anatomy you take um human genetics you take taping 101 you take everything that how to be able to apply how to be a a great trainer or so so to speak um but as far as the science i think that's one of the areas a lot of universities kind of don't focus on and I think slowly by mm-hmm. slowly they have been kind of focused in the area to be aware that hey you're interacting with other individuals um, there's an art behind it too you're also interacting with people from different diversities um, and, and you have to be be aware of that um, I, I have to kind of go really quick uh, but there's one there, there, there's a saying that um, that I kind of discovered a few days ago uh, that it kind of goes to what you mentioned John as far as people are evolving and it was something about if, if, if it doesn't evolve me I don't want it to involve me
1: oh,
2: I thought, I thought I thought it was kind of a great saying and I, I kind of use it a lot nowadays. So if it's something, whether it's either educational, whether it's um, spiritual, whatever it is, if it doesn't involve me, I don't want it to involve me, so to speak. But hey, um, I, I gotta get going, but uh, it was great. Hopefully we'll catch up you guys later. Thank you, Marco. Thank you, Marco.
3: Jeremy, do you have any questions um, related to diversity? I know um, we've been very, I don't want to say heavy on the Latino side. And and, and I want to hear your perspective um, from some of the things that we've said today um, as, as a Caucasian, as a white male.
0: Like we'll, we'll get kids who get college scholarship offers. So here in Houston, they may get an offer for a scholarship in Louisiana or for Arkansas or something like that. So they get an offer to play, to play sports in a place that's away. or we have one turned down an offer for, or she accepted the offer and d- ended up not going for a college that was an hour and a half away. Right. And so for me, I'm like, that's just stupid. Right. But Sounds dumb. <laughs> it, Well, yeah. Right. It is. It, but, but then as we're having this conversation, like there's more to it. There's the, the cultural, the family influence. Like for me, it was like, you know, Hey, I'm 18. I'm out of the house. I'm gone. Right. You know, and that, and that's just like y'all were saying, that's normal for a white family. Right. Cause my parents both graduated high school. My older sister, you know, was in college at the time when I graduated. So that was just, that's what's normal is you go off. You, she was already living in a different city. You know, that's just normal. You just go away from home and you do it. So just talk to me a little bit more about that experience um, in how we can, as athletic trainers or leaders or whatever, relate to those athletes who are trying to decide whether or not to take college, uh, college scholarships away from home.
1: It's a, it's a big challenge. I mean, in the sense of like like you said, there there's a lot of cultural norms that come along with it. Especially as a first generation higher education student, as first generation American, and if your parents are both immigrants, it's it's hard to even communicate the fact that there's a college that wants me to play sports. And and then if you're a female at that, your dad may not even want you to play sports. That, that might not be even the case and you may have been playing these sports behind his back um, and it all comes from these cultural norms at least I can only speak for Latinos or like my Mexican culture is the fact that like at the end of it you are already I, Marco shared this video with me and I'll send you a link for it but um, you're as a person of color you already stand 10 feet behind the white American you you already have this um, barrier because of how you grew up or because of your past experiences or because of the way that your parents grew up and it's not necessarily always the case for people of color but majority of it is that you're going to be starting 10 feet behind in the race always and I, there's videos there's pictures that you know depict this but at the end of the day it's very challenging to try to encourage that um And it could be like a a West Indies, Caribbean, um, Latinos, like Asians, and try to encourage them to go an hour drive away from home. And the biggest concern will be like, well, who's going to watch your your younger siblings? Who's going to um, get gas money for you to drive back home if I need you? Um, Who's going to run the farm? Who's, you know, who's going to take care of your grandma? Like it's, these are all these pressures, these outside pressures that come to, um, that younger, that young adult that's trying to figure out their life and want to know that, that that's the best option for them.
0: Yeah. So along the same lines, you don't know, have a family member who is Hispanic and she had a college scholarship offer, but her dad didn't want her to take it because that's just, that was not what women do. Like similar to what you're saying, like, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not, you shouldn't be playing sports, shouldn't be going to college. And so ended up not getting a college scholarship, having to pay a lot of money for college and just thinking about how that she ended up graduating from college, but just the, the life change that would have happened if the cultural barrier had could have been worked through. So it it just crazy situations where like, until I have these conversations, I don't understand. Like, that's just dumb, but wait a minute, let's take a step back. Let's look. So. Yeah. um, And
1: that's great that you can take that step back because I, I know that I have, I've had coworkers in the past and, people that I've encountered with that do not see that there is a difference between us, which is like a good thing in a sense, but at the same time, it's a, it's um a, just an ignorance that they don't realize that we we are different people and we bring different things to the table. And so you expecting me to, to have X, Y, and Z that you have is very challenging because of all the adversity that I had to face as a child or younger.
0: So we, this is titled Diversity and, and, and Inclusion in Athletic Trainer Leadership. And so we've talked a lot about the diversity. What does inclusion mean to you? What does that look like?
1: Again, I, it's making sure that like my coworkers or um, my classmates, that they're able to um, notice that, they're, that we do have that difference and acknowledge it, accept it and then like dive into the similarities and build on those things. What about for you, John?
3: I think it's the same thing. It's, it's understanding and building on those things. Um, and, and constantly, constantly learning. Um, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, putting together another episode for Ramadan. Um, you know, and that was something that got pushed on, uh, or asked, I I shouldn't say push. It was asked of me last year to, um, inform our community on, um, on Ramadan and our athletics. Um, so I had to once again, step out of my boundaries, step out of my comfort zones, uh, and ask, ask hard questions that, um, you know, at times I felt uncomfortable asking, but at the end of the day, it was, it was highly educational for me. Um, I helped, bridge a gap between um one community and our school community um and then for our whole athletic department to have a better understanding um and our coaches to have a better understanding of what our muslim athletes were going through Um, so constantly building on certain things stepping out of those boundaries uh and not really um you know drawing those lines and uh, it comes back to uh finding the similarities between each person uh each group rather than the differences Um, when i was able to kind of flip that and understand that a little bit better it really helped me um with our relationship building with the communication um, between different groups and different um, individuals
1: yeah i definitely think it's important to acknowledge and accept that there are differences yes yes and then grow from that point so that that way that once once your counterparts understand and accept and acknowledge that yes we are very different people and then now you guys are on the same level ground where you can start growing and and increasing your similarities and then building just on those so that your your differences right. can be a part of their like growth and their differences mm-hmm. can be a part of your growth and vice versa you know
3: yeah. You definitely don't want to just throw those away and, and just focus on one thing. It is, it is highly important. So I hopefully I didn't send that across that message across. It is important to understand differences, uh, understand where people are coming from because that's essentially what those differences are. When you understand those, that's when you're going to build a better relationship with different groups, different individuals. Um, and as a leader, it helps you become a better leader because the more you understand people, the more you understand the people you work with or that work for you, um, you know, they're going to connect to you more rather than just you holding yourself up, uh, up here and not having a connection with anybody. And um, if you're able to do that, that really helps with um, that, the, your leadership ability.
0: So let me jump in real quick. So John, uh, we're friends, right? Yes. Okay. So, so like last year, uh, we were driving down the freeway, and I saw a sign that said, like, Polish festival or whatever. And then I said something to Sarah. I was like, oh, look, we can go visit the Polacks. Well, I didn't know that that was offensive because I had read a book, and the guy was Polish, and he was talking about, like, he said Polack all the time. And Sarah was like, Jeremy, that's, that's like, a derogatory term usually. And I was like, really? I was like, it was in the book. I didn't know. And so yeah. I, as we're talking about all this understanding and this diversity and inclusion, like, you has, also have to be willing to extend grace, just like you said in the very beginning, where you have to be willing to, to educate, because I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm not around Polish people that often, and mm-hmm. and I just, I didn't know, but luckily it was with Sarah, but it's just one of those, like, you know, if I said, uh, like Marco said, that comment about the guy with the chi- making the Chinese thing, you're like, oh, that's not right. You know, or if I grew up in a family where they said, well, that spick over there, well that's very offensive to Hispanic but you know I didn't know that so now that I've learned that okay my family didn't say that growing up but I was just saying like since you guys are talking about Hispanic you know so Mm -hmm. it's it's very enlightening for me to to learn like okay well these things these things are offensive but then also like some people do saying things that are offensive to me but I just have to extend the grace say hey you know that's that's offensive. Uh, and then you just continue to lead from there. So if I blow up and make it a big deal, then they're ready to fight. But if I just pull them to the side or say, Hey, that, that, you know, that hurts me because of this, or like, Mm -hmm. you know, I choose not to drink alcohol because my dad was in a car accident and a kid ended up dead. And that's my choice. Like, if you choose to drink alcohol, that's your choice. Right. But if, if we have a, fight about it. And I say, you're stupid for drinking alcohol. You're dumb. Well, then they're just going to drink more or just ignore me. Right. And so I think that's one of the key things in in leadership is being able to, and willing to extend grace. So.
1: Definitely. I think it also starts with, um, the educators overall. Like I think in order for us as athletic trainers to, um, become more culturally competent or diverse or, and, and have these practices of inclusion, I think it starts in the education of athletic training. And I think it needs to be, um, kind of stressed in the sense that, that there isn't much education of cultural competence or cultural awareness in the education. And I think that because we deal with such a, a diverse population, that in order for us to um, care for them properly and provide quality care to them, that we should be able to have these educations and, and like know how to treat athletes who are diabetic, who practice Ramadan, mm-hmm. know how to um, treat athletes who uh, wear a hijab, and understand that there are um, differences, and that we don't want to like step on toes or um, make them feel uncomfortable in that sense. And without the education in as educators, without that knowledge, like it's it's pushing us backwards in the sense of not being able to provide that quality care that we so stress for. Yeah,
3: it's 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 very very important to always ask questions. Uh, And if you have to ask individual questions to individual people, uh, it's better to do that than to assume, than to um, just think that you can do something or think that you could say something because, um, you know, you may have an assumption on a term or uh, how you are able to treat or how you're able to do certain things. But if you don't ask the actual question and you do something wrong or incorrect, um, it's a lot harder to explain why you did certain things than why you didn't do certain things. Um, so it's, it's very important to always ask questions, always have a clear understanding as to why, um, you're going to do something, or if this is offensive to certain people or, uh, whatever it is, if you're asking questions, more questions you ask, the more apt you are to be a better practitioner.
0: So we're talking about your research, your DAT program, your doctoral thesis or whatever you call them. And What are going to be your keys to increasing that diversity and inclusion and leadership? Like, what are are they going to be the bullet points? What are they going to be things that you really think are going to change the atmosphere, change the climate in leadership?
1: like I said, I think it starts with the education. So I think that's going to be where my main focus is and just evaluating the type and the quantity and um, of cultural awareness education that we get in order to kind of see where the gap is so that we can try to mend that and bridge that gap so that for future athletic trainers that hopefully are more diverse than what the population looks like right now, that they're able to understand the importance of treating athletes who are different than ourselves.
0: All right. So, and there's another thing that I'm going to talk about real quick. Um, obviously, you know, I have partners with, this, with the podcast and I always, I'll have those listed on there. Uh, every time John's on, we try to mention Myotech because that's his people right down the road. All right. So Myotech, you can check them out using the code DSMB. But, Eva actually has her own podcast. And so I was just checking that out for a few minutes today. Um, and that kind of got me thinking like, it's called Brown Eyes, Caramel Thighs, and Caramel Thighs, right? And so I was just thinking like, by saying that brown girl, or, you know, like just how, how easily that word can be good or bad, right? You know, because I mean, you're Hispanic, but if I say brown, then is it derogatory? And so it's interesting. So if you want to check out, eva's podcast i have a link to it at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash eva so again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash eva if you want to check that out eva why don't you give me just like a one minute overview of the podcast
1: Yeah, for sure. So the podcast name is Brown Eyes and Caramel Thighs, and it's found on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. And we talk a lot about um, being a brown woman. And so a brown woman can be identified as someone who's black, Indian, Asian, Persian, all sorts of the color of brown skin. And um, some white women also relate as well as we'll talk a lot about leadership, having a seat at the table, breaking glass ceilings, a lot of cultural norms and how it impacts you as a first generation American, as it impacts you as a first generation in higher education or in education in general. Um, seeking those college degrees and just kind of like a soundboard for other women of color and Brown women that identify and can relate with our experiences so that we can kind of um, give them the advice that I know I wanted as a younger a woman, as well as um, advice as, as a college graduate.
0: So very cool. So again, that is com slash Eva Martinez, or you can go to your favorite podcast player and just search up, uh, brown eyes choc- uh, ch- say chocolate thighs caramel thighs, <laughs> oh, <I'm not laughs> chocolate
1: thighs. so brown no, eyes brown.
0: caramel thighs and then check out Eva uh, and let her know what you think about the, the podcast and how uh, it's impacting you or how you may be able to be able to impact it and and things like that and so uh, check her out there this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash diversity diversity and inclusion diversity and inclusion Eva what's the best way to get hold of you
1: Um you can Instagram me at brown eyes and caramel thighs, and um, you can DM me, email me from that account as well, and we can um, figure some stuff out. If you'd like to be a guest or just share your topics or any ideas that you guys have that you'd like to hear.
0: All right, very good. So both John and Marco had to duck out because it's getting late. So I appreciate. You joining me, you reaching out, uh, Dr. Conan connecting us, and then we'll continue to kind of grow together as as you help me grow my understanding as a middle class white American, the stereotypical leadership role and just helping to grow and include others in in that process. So, Eva, thank you so much for being on the sports medicine broadcast for John Seco, Marco Nunez, Jeremy Jackson, the sports medicine broadcast. That is a wrap. Thanks.
1: Thank you.